1: Antibiotics have changed the world. They've made it possible to treat so many diseases that used to mean anything from discomfort to miserable death. But there's a problem.
2: We're facing a silent pandemic where more and more bacteria are becoming resistant to available antibiotics.
1: Cesar de la Fuente is a professor of bioengineering at the University of Pennsylvania School of Engineering.
2: Today, over one million people die every single year as a consequence of untreatable infections. And that's projected to worsen and to actually lead to the death of 10 million people by 2050, unless we do something about
1: it. No new classes of antibiotics have made it to the market since the 1980s, just variations on existing antibiotics. That's in part because finding and testing new drugs is hugely expensive. But as a postdoc at MIT, Cesar had an idea what if they could use machine learning to get a computer to do it? The first challenge was how to teach a computer to innovate at the molecular level.
2: And after much thinking uh, with our collaborators, we thought that the best way to go about it was to actually mimic The greatest engine that we have for diversity and generation and to innovate at at any level, which is uh, evolution itself. And so we decided to train a machine to execute Darwin's algorithm of evolution, um, where it took initial antibiotics that were not very effective, and it was capable of evolving them to become much more effective.
1: The computer came up with a number of molecules, and then Cesar and his colleagues took those, synthesized them and tested them against bacteria in Petri dishes.
2: And we saw that a number of the computer-created antibiotics were capable of killing clinical isolates quite effectively.
1: Then they tested the best one in mice and found that it killed bacteria there, too. In 2018, they published the first study that, to their knowledge, used AI to find a new antibiotic. The next thing they explored was using their computer models to dig through all the proteins in the human body, what's called the proteome, in search of tiny proteins called
2: peptides that might play a role in the immune system. Peptides are actually part of that innate immune system. So it's, they're the first responders to any infection that we face. And, and so they're actually critical to allow us to, to live. They discovered more than 2,500 peptides with anti-infective
1: traits. And that got them thinking, why stop there when Every species has its own proteome, its own treasure chest of potentially antibiotic molecules. Every species, that is, living and dead.
2: In one of the brainstorming sessions, one of the concepts that that came about was the concept of Jurassic Park and of the extinction Jurassic Park scientists came along. Using sophisticated techniques, they extract the preserved blood from the mosquito and, bingo, dino DNA. The idea in that movie, of course, was to bring back to life uh, dinosaurs, um, entire organisms. So it's organismal de-extinction. And of course, that has a lot of limitations, right?
1: There's the fundamental limitation. DNA is fragile. It can't survive for millions of years. There is no such thing as workable dino DNA. But even for more recently extinct animals where we do have some DNA, like the woolly mammoth... There are all sorts of ecological and ethical questions, too.
2: But thinking about how to overcome all those limitations, uh, we came up with the concept of molecular de-extinction. You know, instead of bringing back entire organisms, why not just bring back molecules from the past to solve present-day problems? And we decided to look at our closest relatives, which are Neanderthals and Denisovans.
1: Today on the show... In celebration of all the ghosts and skeletons out there haunting the Halloween graveyards, we're going to talk about resurrecting molecules from our extinct relatives to fight deadly modern-day infections. I'm Aaron Scott. You're listening to Shortwave, the science gravecast from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Total Wine & More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app and you're good to go.
1: And so, Cesar, you said you were inspired by Jurassic Park, but I'm guessing there was no mosquito preserved in amber with Neanderthal DNA in it. So can you tell us how you accessed the DNA from our long extinct
2: ancestors? So just like it usually happens in science, there have been many, many people, many amazing men and women uh, scientists over decades that have been uh, developing painstaking methods to sequence mitochondrial and genomic um, uh, DNA from, from ancient uh, humans amongst other organisms. And um, the really great thing is that now we have those data available and we can access genomic and proteomic data uh, from Neanderthals and Denisovans and all we had to do was develop the right computational tools, in this case, a machine learning model, to, um, to really mine all that information that is out there and try to find interesting things. And can you tell us a little bit about how that worked? I mean, what
1: is the machine learning model looking for?
2: Yeah, so what it does, essentially, in broad terms, is it takes the whole proteome, again, this is, these are all the proteins encoded by the genome of both Neanderthals and Denisovans, and also modern humans, as a reference. It chews all these proteins up into little fragments. And then we ran a number of additional machine learning models and also human expert uh, filters. And after those filters, we have a number of sequences um, from archaic humans that are predicted to be good antibiotics. And uh, then we reach a point which was probably the most exhilarating moment of the project, which was we were about to resurrect molecules from extinct organisms Mm. that, as far as we know, are not present anywhere in the world, anywhere in nature. And as you can imagine, scientifically, that was extremely exciting. But then, of course, that also brought about other thoughts of, you know, what does it mean to resurrect a molecule that is no longer present around us Uh and from a bioethical perspective. So we started consulting with bioethicists, you know, um, at the time, and we continue to do so because we believe in responsible innovation. We want to make sure that everything we do is done correctly. And so the computer basically
1: finds these peptides that have potential. Take us through how you actually tested
2: to see if if they work. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so the next step was actually resur- doing the resurrection part. And for that, we use chemistry. We use a technique called solid phase chemical synthesis, which essentially is like little robots that allow us to make the peptides. And they make one amino acid at the time and then they link them in a chain to essentially get your final peptide, which again is a tiny protein. And then we uh, expose them to bacteria that we grow in the laboratory and we see whether they're able to kill um, clinically relevant bacteria or not. And what we found is that uh, several of the peptides were able to, uh, to kill bacteria quite effectively uh, in petri dishes in vitro. Um, and then so those best ones that we found, we transitioned them to animal models after testing for toxicity and things like that. And in one of the mouse models, which was a skin infection model, one of the Neanderthal peptides was able to reduce the infection to levels comparable to a standard of care antibiotic called polymixin B. And that peptide, we call it Neanderthalin 1 uh, because we consider it as sort of the first uh, antibiotic coming from an, from a Neanderthal. And that is capable of reducing infections in an animal model.
1: And I'm curious, I mean, our ancient relatives lived in a different microbial world from today. Did you discover that these peptides maybe went about attacking the bacteria in a way that is different from how our modern peptides work?
2: Yeah, actually, one of the results that were quite intriguing was that the modern sequences tended to target the outer membrane of bacteria whereas the ancient ones tended to target the cytoplasmic membrane. And just to recap a little bit, gram-negative bacteria, this is a type of bacteria that are particularly pathogenic or problematic in our society. They have two membranes, the outer membrane and the cytoplasmic or inner membrane. So what I'm saying here is that the modern sequences tended to target the outer membrane, whereas the ancient ones tended to go after the cytoplasmic or inner membrane.
1: And just to make sure that I'm getting this right, so many modern antimicrobial peptides kill things like bacteria by disrupting their outer cell membranes. But these ancient peptides pass through that outer membrane and disrupt the inner membrane to kill things.
2: Now, the sample size that we have for this is very small. So I don't want to, you know, make any sort of correlations here. But this is just early evidence that perhaps these sequences operate. Um, um, uh, differently, on, on targeting bacteria in different ways. What are the next steps? Is this something that, that
1: you're going to pursue further? Like can we hope to see a, a
2: Neanderthal-based antibiotic on the market one day in the future? I mean, uh, yeah, I think the next steps is obviously use this information, these molecules, as templates for further optimization for anti-infective activity and so on. I don't think they're ready yet <laughs> uh, uh, to, to enter the market or even pre-IND enabling studies, which are the, the studies that need to happen before phase one clinical trials. But, uh, but I think uh, they represent excellent sort of templates so that we can learn more and further optimize them. Going
1: beyond molecular de-extinction, What are some of the other ways that your lab and other researchers are using AI to develop new antibiotics and other therapies? Like,
2: what are the prospects that have you really excited? This is a really emerging field. If, you know, it's really only half a decade old. And if I had to sort of summarize the progress that we've been able to make, is that typically to using traditional methods in antibiotic discovery, in the traditional pipeline, to discover one preclinical candidate, it takes between three and six years. What I would say AI has enabled is that instead of having to wait three or six years, we can now discover thousands of preclinical candidates in a matter of hours. And I think the really fascinating thing, if you step back, is that prior to all this work that I'm mentioning, the total number of peptidic antibiotics or peptide antibiotics known to humans was around 6,000. And now we have over 1 million just in a couple of years of uh, worth of progress and of course our ultimate dream is that some of the work that we're doing some of these efforts will lead into something that will you know save lives and help people that's really what uh, drives us every single day thank you so much
1: for for exploring this research with us i mean it's it's just absolutely fascinating
2: thank you for having me it's been it's been really a blast
1: If you want to hear more about the science behind the de-extinction of entire animals, like, say, the dodo and the woolly mammoth, not to mention the questions about it, we did a few episodes a while back. We'll link to them in our episode notes. This episode was produced by Rachel Carlson and edited by our managing producer, Rebecca Ramirez. Anil Oza checked the facts. Our audio engineer is Patrick Murray. Beth Donovan is our senior director, and Anya Grundman is our senior vice president of programming. I'm Aaron Scott, dressing up this year as a Neanderthal peptide. Okay, maybe not, but happy Halloween to you all, from us here at Shortwave.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor American Express Business. Take your business further with the Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. It's packed with enhanced benefits to help unlock more business value. Learn more at americanexpress.com/businessgoldcard.
1: Imagine a house where every room follows a different architect's plan. Doorways don't connect. Staircases lead nowhere. Lost Patients is a new podcast examining our complicated system for treating psychosis, one that loses patients to an endless loop between the streets, jail, and hospitals. We'll ask how it got so bad and how it can
0: get better. Listen to Lost Patients from KOW and the Seattle Times, part of the NPR Network.